Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I am your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. I am a psychoanalyst, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. How good does that sound? Today, we're going to talk about binging because you can't say no. Five strategies to stop people-pleasing. So let's just dive right in. By the way, if you are here on Instagram, feel free to drop a comment or a question. Um, If you are listening on Voice America Live, you can always call into the show if you have something to say. The number here is 866-472-5792. Now we're diving in. So have you ever felt crushed beneath a load of obligations and responsibilities? You feel like you're caught in a cycle of people-pleasing that leaves no room for your own self-care. If so, you may be dealing with a sense of over-responsibility, and that is a condition that is often rooted in past trauma. And remember, there are two kinds of trauma, big T trauma and little t trauma. And this leads to obligation, overload, and binge eating as a way of coping. So what is people-pleasing? It means you're constantly trying to please others. You're trying to take on more responsibilities than you can manage, or even you feel responsible for things that are not your responsibility, but it feels like it is. Um, And that leads to a sense of overload, overwhelm, over-responsibility, and can trigger unhealthy coping strategies like binging, because binging is a coping strategy not an addiction. It's not about willpower. It's not about control. It's not even about food. It is a coping strategy. So if you're if you're coping with people-pleasing and over-responsibility, I'm going to give you five strategies to overcome this. And the first one is just recognize the symptoms of over-responsibility because everyone feels responsible. Everyone feels overwhelmed at some point, but chronic feelings of over-responsibility, that is more than just a temporary state of being stressed out because of situation or circumstances. It's obligation overload, essentially, and it manifests in different ways, but it's really important to know how it manifests because it does have different signs and symptoms for, for different people. So let's look a look, let's take a look at some of the common uh, reasons that th- that will show you that you are actually uh, overly responsible. So the first one is setting high expectations. A common symptom of over-responsibility is when you set often impossibly high standards for yourself, as if you're as if you're Atlas holding up the weight of the world. Was it Atlas who held up the weight of the world? I think so. Um, and 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 you always feel as if you you're you know you the world is on your shoulders everything is your responsibility you got to take care of everyone and 
that everything is somehow either your fault or your responsibility. And you might feel like you need to excel at everything, large or small. Um, It's this constant pressure to be perfect and take care of everything and everyone that makes you feel stressed, sometimes all the time. And that stress, if you don't have a way to de-stress, to relieve your stress and anxiety or just calm down, you might turn to food for that purpose. Um, So that is one connection between obligation overload, we'll call it, and binge eating. Another one is um, excessive worrying about outcomes. Uh, It's the the tendency to just really stress out, worry, feel like you you can't get it out of your mind about the outcomes of situations, even those that are outside your control. And this anxiety often stems from a sense of a fear of disappointing other people or being perceived negatively. You've got to make sure everything is is great. Otherwise, people aren't going to like you or they're going to judge you or there's going to be an issue or you're something along those lines. But so you're you're constantly perseverating, worrying about it all the time. Um, also, difficulty saying no, difficulty setting boundaries. We're going to get more into this later, but this is another sign that you are dealing with over-responsibility. Setting no, setting boundaries, and prioritizing self-care, that is really challenging when you feel overly responsibility to take care of the world. And that wish to please other people often overshadows your own wish or ability to take care of yourself. And it leads you to neglect your own needs. It leads you to feel um, maybe resentful, but oh no, you're not supposed to be resentful. So that can get displaced onto resenting yourself or being frustrated or disappointed with yourself for what you eat or what you weigh. So rather than, oh my gosh, everyone wants something from me at all times. I'm I'm so over it. Ah. It becomes, oh, I just, I'm just so mad at myself because I ate um, a bagel, right? Or two bagels or whatever it is, right? So that's displacement. Another symptom of over-responsibility is carrying other people's burdens. People with this sense of, uh, oh, it's on me, which is over-responsibility, often shoulder the burdens of other people. Um, And they feel that this unnecessary obligation to solve their problems, to help them out, to, to lead them on the right path, to take care of them, all the things, right? So this not only adds to the existing weight of responsibilities of your own life, but it leads to you feeling now, you know, again, responsible for other people as if they don't bear any responsibility themselves or somehow your, your sense of, um, of, of responsibility to relieve them of the burden is greater than even theirs. No pressure, right? So overall, as you can see, there's this sense of you take care of everybody else and food takes care of you. So if any of these symptoms of over-responsibility feel familiar, remembering remember that Um, understanding this is the first step to making changes in your own patterns and your own way of relating to yourself and others and therefore with food. First, we got to see what's going on before we can change it. Just seeing it, just having insight is not enough. 
And this is often, you know, you know, people tell me all the time, like, well, I know why I'm doing it. So why am I still doing it? Well, because knowing why you're doing it is only the first step. Insight is not enough. Um, I love Oprah. Love Oprah. She got people reading. She's so like, magnificent in so many ways. But oh my gosh, Oprah, with your aha moment. No, the aha moment just, just makes you go, aha, I get it. I see the light. Oh, wow. And then nothing happens, right? The aha moment, it sounds like, oh, you're going to have this aha, this epiphany, this realization of, oh my God, I see why I'm doing that. Or I see that I'm what I'm doing. And then everything is going to magically fall into place. No, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Wouldn't it be great if it did? But it doesn't. That's not how it works. But insight is first. So first, recognize the symptoms of over-responsibility and, and we'll go from there. Also, second strategy is unpack the trauma connection. So right now we're just looking at creating insight. And then I'm going to give you some strategies of what to do. When you find yourself going, yeah, I am overly responsible for other people. And oh, yeah, yeah, it, it is rooted in some past trauma. So often the sense of over-responsibility, people-pleasing behavior is rooted in trauma. So let's just look at, at, at this and look at its implications for, for binge eating and, and so on. Um now, you might be wondering what trauma has to do with taking on too much responsibility or people-pleasing. There is a direct link because lots of people who have experienced trauma in their past wind up developing an excessive sense of responsibility. And this is because um, uh, when trauma happens, especially at a young age, the psychological impact of that creates a way of coping. So let's say you're you're traumatized, and remember there are this word is used so often, and often people think of trauma as this big, horrible, awful, scary, terrible event. And it can be. That's big T trauma. But trauma that that's like the the butcher knife to your soul, right? Just one whack. Boom, horrible car accident, horrible, uh, you know, murder, <laughs> abuse, something like that, like, like, or war, or, you know, something super big. That's big T trauma. But, and that is thankfully more rare than little T trauma, which is very, very common. Little T trauma, if, if big T trauma is the, the, the huge knife, butcher knife to your soul, little T trauma, is a thousand small cuts because a thousand cutting remarks that that are sharp and mean and cut you down and shred your self-esteem leaves lasting uh, a lasting effect and uh, leaves a mark on you. So when I talk about trauma, you know, consider what your tr trauma is and if it is something big that happened or if it is more along the lines of this a thousand small cuts which are very, very, very painful. So when you are a survivor of trauma, you try to ensure that everyone around you is happy and that they approve of you so that they don't re-traumatize you, so they don't say something mean. 
By people pleasing, you're trying to prevent a traumatic experience. If you just make everyone happy, they're going to be good with you, right? And then daily life becomes a minefield of shoulds. So remember that, that, that what happens in the past has everything to do with the present. When we talk about the past, it's not like it just happened in the past and it's over and done with, and therefore there's no point in talking about it. We want to understand that how what happened in the past has impacted your present day relationship with yourself, with other people, with the, with the world, and with food. Because you didn't just wake up one day and start emotional eating or binge eating. This is something you learned. It's a coping strategy or it's a way of dealing with deprivation. Um, but it's not, for today's purposes, we're talking about it as a coping strategy, as in binge eating disorder. You didn't, you didn't just, it didn't just happen to you. You learned it and you can unlearn and learn a new way. And how you unlearn is first see how you learned it. And traumatic events of the past, traumatic relationships, difficult relationships, not feeling like you're good enough, not feeling like you can do anything right, feeling as if you have to walk around on eggshells to, to be accepted, feeling as if you have to perform to be loved. All of these experiences are actually traumatic experiences. And so this turns into people-pleasing later in life. You just, you just, are, you try to make everyone happy socially, professionally, in your family. You just have to ensure that everything is right or perfect for everybody else so that no one's going to think badly of you or treat you badly or say anything. How well does that work, by the way? <laughs> Not so well. Um, it's overwhelming to be people pleasing all the time. And, you know, again, you give and you give and you give and you give. What happens? You are depleted. You are empty. And sometimes the only thing that you can literally take in is food. Um, so let's just talk a little bit more about the types of, of traumas. Um, one, one particular uh, type of trauma that can contribute to over-responsibility is growing up in a chaotic or unpredictable environment. When you're exposed to unpredictability or instability, you can develop uh, also a strong desire to control your world, to have order and structure in your life. And that leads to hypervigilance um, and a need to take charge of situations, because if you grow up in a chaotic environment, you can't really trust people to take care of you the way you need. It's all chaos. You create rules for yourself that you alone have to implement. And then that might mean taking on responsibility that's not yours. And it, it creates a belief that you have to be in control at all times to prevent chaos or to prevent any kind of harm from occurring. So when you when you grow up in chaos or instability leads to really wanting to micromanage your life. Um, and you could see what the what the the like the stakes are really high. It's like either you control everything and you take care of everything or 
chaos ensues. Hey, no pressure. Um, also, having a traumatic event, big T trauma, as well as little T trauma, that involves a loss of control or power, this is often what happens in abuse situations, contributes to that sense of over-responsibility. Children often feel responsibility for responsible for what happens to them. They do not have the wherewithal to say, oh my gosh, this adult took advantage of my situation as a child. Um, how could they have done that to me? Children think, what is it about me that made them treat me this way? So now they feel responsible in part for the abuse, and then they feel responsible to to stop the abuse. In fact, many survivors of abuse will will say as adults that they still feel like somehow it was their fault. That they still think somehow they should have done something to prevent the abuse. Well, there's over-responsibility right there. So whether it is an uh, an unstable, chaotic environment or outright abusive situation, they both lead to this need to micromanage situations or take on tasks that are not your responsibility as a way to avoid feeling vulnerable and feel empowered and safe. So trauma creates a really deep-seated fear of being powerless. Being powerless and helpless is one of the worst and most scary experiences a human can have. It's absolutely horrible. And by the way, I talked about displacement a little while ago, but often we displace we displace powerlessness or helplessness over certain aspects of our lives onto food. So instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, uh, there's a corporate merger and there's nothing I can do about it, I feel so helpless and powerless, it becomes, yeah, whatever with a corporate merger, but I've got to control food. I mean, I feel so helpless over food. Let me control that. So it's a displacement that gives you hope that, hey, at least there's something you can feel in control of, over rather than coping with and dealing with how hard it is to feel that sense of powerlessness. So being powerlessness, being powerless and having that sense of powerlessness is scary and horrible and awful. And it leads a lot of people as a way of coping to taking on more responsibility than is theirs. And then they feel overwhelmed, they feel stressed, they feel resentful, but they don't know how to metabolize those thoughts and feelings and end up taking it out on themselves by eating and then getting mad at themselves for eating. So those are the those are the the first two strategies to stop people pleasing are to recognize the symptoms of overresponsibility and really unpack that trauma connection. The third, now we're coming to what do we do? The third is to set boundaries to protect yourself. In other words, stop the shoulds. Shoulds are our internalized beliefs and expectations that we impose on ourselves. I should do this. I should take care of that. I shouldn't this. I, sh I, sh I should eat this, but not that. Right? So don't should on yourself. 
My professor in grad school said that, and I just thought he was the most clever person in the world. And then I later found out it's a really common expression. <laughs> but take it to heart. Do not should on yourself. So unfair to yourself. So we feel this need to uh, uh, conform or do or take care of or, or what have you. We feel overly responsible for others. And it's a state where you feel like you've got to take care of many things, often at the cost of your own well-being. So if you consistently find yourself saying yes when you really want to say no, you may be a people pleaser. You may be conditioned to be a people pleaser for all the reasons that I just went over. And of course, this comes with exhaustion and resentment and all the things that then, you know, you cope with, with food. So when we overlook our own needs to meet the needs of other people, it is a sign that we are neglecting ourselves. We take care of everyone else and we feel depleted and food takes care of us. This is not a good state of affairs. So setting boundaries is a necessary step to stop this responsibility, obligation, overload, and to stop, which of course, stop binge eating because that's what leads to binge eating as a way of coping. So initially, let's let's just understand what it means to set boundaries because boundaries is a very popular word right now. Everyone's talking about boundaries, setting boundaries. But what does it really mean? So it's about recognizing your personal limits and taking actions that conserve your emotional, mental, and physical energy. It's about standing up for yourself and expressing your needs and wants in a proactive way. It's about having the right to have rights. I often tell people that they need to give themselves a personal bill of rights. You know, as if it's because it can feel as if everybody else in the world in their world, has rights. They have the right to be heard. They have a right to do what they want. They have the right to see the movie they want to see. They have a right to walk all over you. They have a, they have a right to whatever it is they want. And that and that and that they feel like like they dealing with these people have no rights. So you got to give yourself the right to have rights. So getting back to boundaries, one thing that you can do is identify those rights. What are your needs? What are your values? What do you want to do? What do you not want to do? What's important to you? What do you need in your relationship, in your life, in your interactions, in your career, in your whatever, whatever aspect of your life? That helps you establish like what, what boundary aligns with your values and your priorities. For example, if you value personal space and alone time, you can set a boundary by communicating your need for alone time with your family or your 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 friends. I I I know someone who um, every time they come back they come in from work, it's like after a really tough day because they have a very intense job. It's and they 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 walk in the door and instantly it's like the kids run up. The 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 partner runs up and it's just like solve this problem for me. 
And of course, this person used to solve the problem. They, they were already walking through the door, spent, exhausted. All they really needed was 15 minutes to themselves to recharge. But they didn't get that 15 minutes or 20 minutes. What they got was more depletion. And so they would solve everyone's problem. They would listen. They would put give input. They would make calls. They would do whatever. And then later, they would binge. And then they'd get mad at themselves for binging when really, no, they're really upset with their family for kind of impinging upon them. But the family didn't know, right? The, so this person had to set boundaries that said, hey, look, when I get home from work, I need at least 15 minutes to decompress. And you have to respect that. And that's just how it's going to be. And when they started doing that, guess what? They, start, they, they stopped binging. Because they no longer needed to cope with their resentment and exhaustion and all the things with food. So it's really important to think about, you know, what are your boundaries and how can you start asking for that, making a reasonable demand. And another way of setting boundaries is to practice being assertive. And that means expressing your thoughts expressing your feelings, expressing your needs and your wants in a respectful and direct manner. Like this person finally said to the family, look, family, I love you beyond measure, but I also love myself too. And I need this time because otherwise, if I don't recharge, I'm, I'm running on fumes. My battery is red. I can't be here for you. I'm just getting resentful. I am, this is how it's going to be from now on. I'm taking my time when I get home from work. And it really worked well. And they respected it. The family, I mean, they pushed the boundary a little bit, but this person held firm. So, um, and that's, we'll get to that a little later. Like it's not just setting the boundary, it's adhering to the boundary, it's sticking to it. So being assertive, which is not, which may feel mean, but it's not, you're just asserting what you need. It allows you to communicate your boundaries really effectively and to be, to be heard. And when you do this, it's really important to use I statements to express how you feel and what you need. Like, instead of saying, you always invade my personal space, how's that going to go over? Not well, I'll tell you that. Instead of saying, you always invade my personal space, you could say, you know what, I feel uncomfortable and resentful when my personal space is invaded by this, this, and this. And I need you to respect me. I need you to respect my boundaries. Also, setting consequences is a very useful technique for establishing boundaries. So consequences just reinforce that the other person needs to respect it. When someone crosses your boundaries, you, you tell them, if you do this, this is the consequence. So for example, if a friend consistently cancels plans last minute, who else has a friend like that? Oh my gosh. Well, I don't have a friend like that anymore. <laughs> I set some boundaries. Um, when they, if, if a friend consistently cancels plans last minute, you can let them know that if they continue to do that, you're going to make other plans without them, or you're not going to make plans with them. And I'm almost out of time. 
But I just want to say this. Um, I, I, we're taking the break. I'm not out of time for the show. Um, that by setting boundaries, you are asserting your boundaries. You're showing others that you are serious about maintaining them. And you are also showing them that you matter. So important. You matter too. It's not about them. It's also about you taking care of you. Very important. This is why you need to make the bill of rights. Give yourself the right to have rights. So we're going to take the break right now. And when I come back, um, we're going to talk about uh, other strategies of how to get over being a people pleaser so you can take care of yourself and learn to say no. If you're on Instagram, I will stay with you. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866 472 5792. That's 866 472 5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. We are talking about binge eating because you can't say no. Five strategies to stop people-pleasing. We went over a few of these strategies, how to recognize the symptoms of over-responsibility to others. We learned how to unpack the trauma connection that can lead to people-pleasing and therefore binge eating. And I talked about learning how to set boundaries to protect yourself. Um, I just want to add uh, about that, that um, I am, if you listen to the show or if you read my books, you know I am a, a huge fan of acronyms. 
love the acronyms. So I created this acronym called SET, S-E-T. Set a different intention. And it stands for situation, emotion, and thought or translation. And it's a way to set boundaries or to communicate. So for example, um, using, using the example of the friend that always cancels last minute, situation, when you cancel on me last minute, that's the situation. E is emotion, and it's just emotion. I feel hurt and upset. And the T, which stands for thought or translation, in other words, what does it mean? So when you cancel on me last minute, I feel hurt and upset because it means you are not respecting me or my time or our friendship. So that is a, a really uh, handy strategy for setting boundaries, S-E-T, situation, emotion, translation. And you can use that in just about any situation. You can use that strat that little strategy. Um, and the two important aspects of setting boundaries, self-awareness, really knowing your, your, you know, what you need and what you're, you're feeling and what your triggers are and being aware of, are you prioritizing other people over yourself? Are you prioritizing the needs of other people over your own? And also defining your limits. What is it that you are willing to tolerate and what is it that you are not willing to tolerate? And remember, give yourself that right to have rights. Remember that your feelings, your time, your energy, they are valuable. They matter. You matter. So by acknowledging your feelings, your triggers, setting limits, all of these things, um, and then also getting to self-care, which is the next step, uh, you can you can get on that path out of obligation overload and people-pleasing and get on a path towards that healthier, happier life and of balance. All right. So the, the fourth strategy to stop people-pleasing is to step into self-care. I have to tell this story. I've told this story a bunch, but it, it just never, it, it amuses me and people like it. So I'm going to share it again. If you've heard it, it doesn't hurt to hear it again. If you haven't heard it, here it goes. Um, I I treated someone once who very early on told me that she was the queen of self-care. She said, I am the queen of self-care. And and she got, you know, mani-pedis and facials and she had her hair blown out and she had massages and she did all the things, right? She said, I'm the queen of self-care. Why am I still binging? I thought if I took care of myself, I would stop binging. And I said, well, that is, that is grooming. That is not self-care. I mean, it, it kind of is a form of self-care, but <laughs> not, not when you're only doing that. Not when that's your only form of self-care. I said, like, that's just about your body self. And she looked at me and she said, well, what other self is there? Yeah, we have all kinds of aspects of ourselves. We have our emotional self, our relational self, our intellectual self, our spiritual self, our creative self, our, oh, you know, the many different aspects of ourselves. But 
self-care can often feel selfish. So when we're used to taking care of other people uh, at our own expense, usually, it feels selfish when we start taking care of ourselves or even thinking about taking care of ourselves. So selfishness, 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 selflessness, and self-care are three totally distinct concepts. And they they relate to different ways that people prioritize their own needs and the needs of others. And understanding the difference is really important because it can help you navigate your relationship with yourself and other people. If you're always giving and giving and giving, again, you're going to be empty. You're going to be depleted. Food can take care of you. So instead of that, how about you learn to take care of yourself the way you take care of other people? Wouldn't that be amazing? So here's the difference between selfishness, selflessness, and self-care. So selfishness is that mindset or behavior where people prioritize their own needs and desires above all other people without considering, usually, it's their impact on other people. It, it involves disregard, lack of concern, just not caring how other people are impacted and just like not caring about the well-being of other people. It's sort of about you. It's, it, it's driven by a sense of entitlement and, 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 and a desire often for personal gain, but not always. But it usually means that people are not considering the consequences of what they want for other people. So being selfish is essentially, it's all about me. You don't matter. That is being selfish. It's all about me. You don't matter. Selflessness, on the other hand, is basically, it's all about you. I don't matter, which is also not healthy at all. It's it, it's focusing on the needs and well-being of other people, people-pleasing. People-pleasers are usually selfless, often at the expense of their own needs. So selfless people prioritize the happiness and, and well-being of other people and are willing to make sacrifices all the time for other people and put the needs of other people ahead of their own. And often they get a, a, a lot of satisfaction from doing that. Hold on, I'm losing my voice. Give me a second. By the way, if you like my Curious Not Critical mug, take it to heart. Be curious, not critical. Um, so selflessness can be a positive trait when it's balanced in the right context and in moderation. But you have to have balance. If you're just taking care of everybody all the time at your own expense, that just depletes you and sets you up for, you know, for binge eating or emotional eating. So in the middle is self-care. So self-care involves actively taking care of your, yes, physical well-being and mental and emotional and creative and all the other parts of you. And it's about recognizing and, and meeting your own needs to maintain that healthy, balanced life. So when you are practicing self-care, sometimes you're going to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you want, even though that's not what I want this time under these circumstances. 
And another time you might say, hmm, I'm going to, no, I'm, I, I really want to stick to my, my plan and I want to do what I want. Please, you know, like, like go along with me. It means navigating that and having mutuality. Huh? Sometimes you say yes to others. Sometimes you say no to others. Sometimes others say yes to you. Sometimes they say no to you. It's balanced. It's not about being selfish. It's not about neglecting other people. It's about making sure that you are in a good place to be able to live your life and take care of other people if that's what you want, but not to an extreme. It means setting boundaries, being self-reflective, doing things that promote personal growth and well-being. That's self-care. And by by doing all of that, you can recharge, reduce stress, prevent burnout. By the way, if you're always taking care of other people and you're constantly stressed out and anxious, sometimes people use food to sedate themselves, right? Or they're exhausted. Talked about this a little bit last week. Or they're exhausted because they're they're just completely thrashed. They're doing everything for everyone. And they're they're just spent and exhausted. So what did they do? They ate a bunch of chocolate or something with sugar to wake themselves up. So it could be that you're using food as a way of soothing yourself emotionally, but also sedating yourself physically or giving yourself energy. All of these are the wrong responses to your needs. But also we want to prevent you from getting into that position in the first place. From, from giving and giving and giving and giving until you're just at that place of exhaustion or anxiety. So um, by prioritizing self-care, which is being good to yourself, you actually can better meet your needs, have more energy, and have more resources, ironically, have more resources to support other people when you choose to take care of them. Because again, you know, it's that, Mutuality, it's that give and receive that's so important in relationships. So for all of these reasons, self-care is not a luxury. It is not an indulgence. It is not selfish. It is a necessary practice for creating balance in your life, in all areas of your life. Um, and it also promotes self-respect. When you take care of yourself, and you prioritize your own needs and do things that bring you joy and bring you fulfillment, you're affirming that you matter. You're affirming your right to have rights. And you also send a message to other people that you matter. Yeah. And that's a very important message because you do matter. And when you sacrifice yourself to take care of other people, you're giving yourself and others the message that you don't matter. And that feels terrible. And you can't feel terrible and feel good at the same time. So often you feel terrible, dispirited, like, you know, frustrated, burnt out, sad. And that's when food becomes comfort, distraction, numbing, rewarding, celebrating, filling the void, all the things. Okay. So you know that self-care is important, but you haven't been practice, practicing it. So let's just talk a little bit about, well, how do you do self-care? 
Um, Let's talk about physical self-care. That means taking care of your body, exercising, getting good nutrition, getting enough sleep, listening to your body's needs, and prioritizing activities that promote your physical well-being. Emotional self-care. Paying attention to what you are feeling and, and nurturing yourself. Taking steps to nurture your emotional well-being is so important. So often we dismiss ourselves. We tell ourselves, that shouldn't matter. I'm overreacting. I'm dramatic. I'm whining. No, if you feel something, it needs your attention, not your condemnation. So, you know, do some journaling. Talk to a, a friend that you trust or a therapist. Join my Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community on Facebook. Um, connect with other people and share. Mental self-care. That's taking care of, like, engaging yourself in, in mentally stimulating things, whether it's reading books or doing puzzles or, or, or learning something new or just or writing or whatever it is that's kind of mentally engages you. That's so important. Social self-care. Creating healthy relationships and connections with other people, spending time with people that you feel safe with, that you love, that you care about, that can nurture you too. Um, having meaningful conversations, all of those things. And if you don't have that in your life, try meetups. Again, join the Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community. People all over the world are there. You're going to meet someone that's you're going to relate to. Um, so when you have social self-care means that you are surrounding yourself with people who can support you and uplift you and and all of that rather than drain you because you're people-pleasing them into being completely spent and frustrated and empty. Spiritual self-care, if that's your thing, um, engaging in practices that align with your spiritual beliefs whether that is meditation or prayer or religious gatherings. For some people, that's spending time in nature, which can be a, a spiritual thing. I personally like to go and hug trees in my backyard. It's true. There's something about trees. They just feel like these wise beings. <laughs> I know. It's weird. I thought If you had told me that I was going to be a tree hugger before the pandemic, I would have said, you're on crack, surely, but no, love hugging trees. To me, that's that's like a, almost a spiritual feeling. Professional self-care, taking step, steps to make sure that you don't burn out at work or that you have a, a, a job or a profession that fulfills you. And, and at work, making sure that you're not people-pleasing there, right? So that's really important. Financial self-care. These are all forms of self-care that are so important. Taking responsibility um, and control of your financial well-being, creating a budget, saving, managing expenses, all of those things. Um, taking care of your money is also self-care. Environmental self-care means creating a nurturing and peaceful environment that supports your well-being. One of the things I recommend is find a space in your house where you could just ah, relax, like a cozy, special, even if it's a, it doesn't have to be a whole room, it could be a corner of a room, just some place, or it could be outside where you can just kind of 
ah, relax and recharge. So you're not using food for me time or recharging time. You can, you're taking care of, you know, yourself in that way. It's so powerful. Um, decluttering your living space or, or, or making it prettier or, or more attractive. These are all ways of taking care of your environmental self and surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy and getting rid of things that do not. Again, spending time in nature, appreciating the beauty of your surroundings so that you can feel good. When you feel good, guess what? You don't need food to escape or soothe or comfort or do all the things that it does for you. Because again, binge eating is not an addiction. It is not about control or willpower, even though it sure feels like it. Yes, it feels like it. It's a way of coping with something. All right. Last, give yourself permission to recharge, which is definitely related to self-care. You have probably heard the saying, you cannot pour from an empty cup. An empty vessel cannot serve, I believe is a quote from the Bible, but I could be wrong. And this really resonates when it comes to the tendency of having, uh, being overly responsible and the energy drain that comes from people pleasing and just giving and giving and giving and giving. If you don't allow yourself to relax, to recharge, you may use food for that purpose. A lot of my patients and clients have used it for me time or they'll they'll take care of everybody you know, absolutely drain themselves. They're exhausted and their only kind of me time and recharging is involved with eating. You give yourself the ability to recharge without food. You don't need food for that purpose. And again, sometimes we unconsciously sedate ourselves with food as a a way of of managing the intensity and the drain of of people-pleasing people in our lives. So um, giving yourself permission to recharge, that doesn't just mean get enough sleep or catch up on sleep or, or, you know, spend an hour reading. It's, it, it means, it means stepping away. Oh, this is a hard one for so many of us. It means stepping away from the pressure of those obligations of those shoulds and actively investing time in replenishing your, your cup your your mental and emotional cup, or let's call it a reservoir. Let's make it bigger. You can create rituals to recharge. Um, that can be an effective way of, of doing that. That could mean just scheduling a regular kind of self-care date, or like I said before, setting up a, a cozy corner of your home where you could just be and, 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 and recharge. If you're running on fumes, if your battery is red, you need to recharge. <clears throat> or doing something that you love after a long day. You know, I, I like I used to watch friends. I would I would come home when I was an intern, I would come home and I would be so fried. And for some reason, watching friends reruns just made me happy. It was like, oh, I'm with I'm with my friends. Made me happy. So just find whatever it is for you that just does that for you, that gives you a little umph after 
after a long day or after just a, a, a difficult time. And this is not something that I want you to look at as yet another should. Oh my God, I've got to practice self-care. I need to do that. I should do that. No, this is a gift that you are giving to yourself. This is an opportunity that you are giving to yourself to relax, to feel comfortable. And so just be gentle with yourself, be flexible, and figure out what works best for you. Maybe you recharge by watching friends. Maybe you recharge by uh, going on a power walk. That's what I do now. Now I go on a power walk. It is absolutely, re it, it feels like um, just, I, I, it just recharges me. I, what can I tell you? I go on a power walk. I listen to an audible book. It's the best thing ever. So recharging doesn't mean just being all chill. It, it can mean whatever it means to you. My husband recharges by going kickboxing. So there you have it. Um, and also, <laughs> switching gears here, like don't underestimate the power of um, mindful rest. What do I mean by mindful rest? Well, we live in this go, 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 hustle culture that is, it, we're, we're so busy and we're in all our devices and we're just go, 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 going all the time. But my my husband and his friends were talking about, hey, remember when we were kids and be like on a Saturday, hey, I'll, you know, come back when their parents would say, come back when it's dark. And they would go and do God knows what. You don't even want to know what they did. But anyway, <laughs> you don't have that anymore. Now it's, you know, everyone's everyone's tracking their kids on their phones and doing play dates and do it like no one, no one can just like, oh, just kind of let themselves have the day. So whether that is, whatever that is for you, figure out what it is. And remember, it's not about the quantity of relaxation or rest or giving yourself a break to recharge. It's about the quality. When you genuinely engage with this, even five minutes can be revi you know, re revital revitalizing, revitalizing. Yeah. Also recharge by disconnecting. I, oh, I'm running out of time. It's really important to disconnect to, from, from devices that I just mentioned, whether it's stepping away from technology, reducing your exposure to the news, minimizing your interactions with people who tend to drain your energy. It's okay to say no to things that deplete you, even if you know those things other people think are good. It's about self-preservation. It's about prioritizing your well-being above people pleasing other. So give yourself permission to take care of yourself. So by understanding those patterns, tracing their origins back to past trauma, learning new behaviors, setting boundaries, stepping into self-care and recharging, you're going to feel so much better and you're not going to use binging to cope. In closing, if you want a deeper dive into this or anything else that I've talked about, be sure to check out my book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on Amazon in all formats, including audio, where I read it to you. Stay curious, not critical. I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. 
Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.